Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Summer Family Bible Conference. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. I want to encourage you that, man, you can't find anything better to give into than the gospel. The things that you put into the gospel never leave your life. It just enters into your future where it grows and it multiplies. And someday, did you know, I've had so many people come up and say, we're a partner. We help build this. And they are taking ownership in it and saying, we're a part of what's happening. And it's absolutely true. Just as Stephen was sharing today, did you know all of these things that have happened, these testimonies that he gave, they couldn't have happened if you hadn't have helped bring all of this to pass. Stephen couldn't do what he's doing if you weren't giving to our ministry and helping pay his salary and buying him the equipment that it takes to do this. Did you know when you give in to things like that, it's affecting millions and millions of people's lives. And in heaven, you're going to have people come by your mansion from the, from the farthest reaches of the earth and say, thank you for touching my life. And you'll say, when did I ever touch your life? When you gave to this ministry, when you trained those people and everything that they go out and do. I had Carrie Pickett over from Russia hugging me just a minute ago and just thanking me and saying, man, you'll never know. And I said, well, I'm claiming a part of everything you do. Amen. <laughs> I said, every good thing you do, every person's life. You know, they've seen a number of people raised from the dead over there and they're seeing miracles and things happening. And I said, I'm in on every one of them. Everyone's getting put on my ledger. <laughs> Amen. They've started these other Bible studies in other places, other Bible schools. And did you know that uh, this one family got hold of the teaching and it just revolutionized their life about the goodness of God and the grace of God. And they got to where they were just meditating in it and absorbing themselves with it. And I forget all of the details, but the son, who was a grown son, he died, something happened and uh, they heard a disturbance and went into his room and the boy was dead and they didn't know what to do. And they just started praying in tongues. They had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit through this ministry. And they just started praying in tongues. And two and a half hours later, their son just sat up and was completely healed after being dead for two and a half hours. And you know what? Someday, every person who's given to help us establish the Bible schools in Russia and then put out these materials, they were reading the books in Russian. We got, I think, 11 of my books into Russian. And you know what? Every one of you who gave to help do that, someday you'll meet those people in heaven and they'll come by your place and thank you for what you've done. And you're thinking, when did I do that? When you gave and helped us. We had a guy that wrote me from the South Pole. He was on a scientific expedition. And they're, they're socked in there for six months at a time. They just go down and they can't get out. And somebody had taken an entire library of my teaching down there to the South Pole. And out of boredom, <laughs> this man thought he had listened to some of them. And he started listening to my teaching. He got born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit and wrote me. He was on the South Pole. You're going to have people from the South Pole come and say, thank you for what you've done. You know, here's another little variation on this. Eventually, I'm going to get into what I wanted to say today, but this goes along with all the rest that in Romans chapter 12, there are some people, it talks about these gifts. If you have 
different measures of grace given unto you. I think it was Barry the other day that was teaching on this and saying we all have the general grace for salvation in the relationship with the Lord, but then there's a specific grace. And Romans chapter 12 talks about that and it says minister according to the grace that is given unto you. And then it starts listing these different things. And did you know one of the graces that is given is a grace of giving? There are people that what God has called you to do is to be a businessman or woman and to make money and you have a gift of giving. That's your gift. You know, we couldn't do things like this if everybody was in the ministry. We need people that are out there working and they have a gift of giving. And I could spend all morning ministering on this, but I've met many people that I mean, they just have a supernatural gift to give. That's where their heart is. Lawson Purdue is one of those guys, the guy that received the offering last night. That man is a giver and he gives to people. Don Crow, has, he was the best man at my wedding and he's been with me for many, many years until just the last couple of years. And Don Crow has a gift of giving. And when we were pastoring together, I recognized that and I submitted to Don. And if Don told me to give money to somebody, I'd, I'd do it because I recognized that gift in his life. One instance of that is in Childress, Texas. There was a woman in our church that she never said a word. She didn't look sad. She didn't do anything. And yet Don just told me, says, we need to give her $83.23. And I thought, Don, why don't we just give her $100? And he said, nope, God told me $83.23. And so I said, I, I trust you. And you know, we gave her $83.23 and she came up just crying and showed us her electric bill, which was $83.23. And she says, this is God. She says, this blessed me more than if you'd have given me $100 or $1,000. She says, I know this was God. And there are some of you that this is the way you are. And you may have never developed it, but you know what? That could be what God raised you up for. And you don't have to give all of the money in an offering uh, bucket. You know, there's people right here. Nobody's told me this, but out of all the times we've ministered, I can guarantee you there's somebody here that took everything they got to get here. There's somebody here that's in a crisis, financial. I know that there was one woman last night I heard about who was sleeping in her car. And it's not because she couldn't get a place because she didn't have any money. Did you know what? Those of you that have a gift of giving, you ought to come into a place like this and recognize it just the same way as I prepare myself and I expect to minister and help meet the needs of people. You got a gift of giving. You ought to come here and say, God, is there somebody you want me to bless? Is there something you want me to do? And you ought to come in here. And if everybody would function in their gift, there wouldn't be a single person leave here with their needs unmet. There would be people say, you know what? I wasn't the one speaking. And yet somebody came up to me and said, God told them to bless me and to do this or to take you out to lunch or to do something. I'm telling you, we've got things so way out of whack to where you got to do these big significant things before you are a success. If God just tells you to go up and hug somebody and tell them that you love them and you obey, you know what? You're a success. 
There was a time that I had these people accusing me of stealing money, committing adultery, getting drunk, doing drugs. They were lying about me. I had a mutiny going in Pritchett, Colorado that was just unbelievable. And I had left the first time in my life I ever began to see success in Childress, Texas. It looked like we were going to live and not die. We had a hundred people coming to church. I, look, I could see light at the end of the tunnel and it wasn't another train. It was an exit out of this terrible thing. I gave it up to go to a church of 10 people in Pritchett, Colorado, a town of 144 people. I gave up everything to go there. And within weeks, they were trying to crucify me and lying about me. And I was just ready to quit. I was ready to give up. And I was praying and saying, God, I need help. And you know what? A friend of mine, Ben Wheeler called long distance. And he just said, hey, how are you today? How's the weather? We talked about stupid stuff. And finally I said, Ben, you didn't call to ask me about what the weather's like. Why did you call? And he said, God just wanted me to tell you that he loves you. I just felt like God wanted you to know that. Man, it impacted me. I was just on the verge of quitting. We wouldn't have had any of this. People's lives wouldn't have been touched because one person just called up and gave me a hug over the phone, said he loved me, made a difference. You know what? That's a success. Ben Wheeler's got a part of everything that's going on in my life. We need to redefine stuff. I tell you, we've, and we aren't getting in on the blessing and the benefit of it because we look at things so carnally. We've let this world define stuff to us and we shouldn't do it. I've been hammering this same point. This is my fourth message or something. And I've basically been saying the same thing that Success is loving God, having a great relationship with God, and then just doing what he tells you to do. If it's to give a hug, if it's to go bless somebody, that's a success. We need to redefine things. And believe it or not, starting tonight or either tomorrow morning, I'm going to start trying to talk about getting you to be, believe bigger. So I'm not against believing big and doing big things, but you first of all have to get it down and quit being condemned and, and things over stuff that is totally outside of what God wants it to be. So I am going to encourage you to dream big and we're going to talk about some of those things, but I've just been trying to get this point across that being a success is having a great relationship with God. When Jesus turned all of the 5,000 away and they left him and nobody was left, but his staff, he was an absolute success because he still loved God and he said what his father told him to say if it cost him all of the crowd. That's a success. You know, even in our ministry, we, we have all of these things that we evaluate how we're reaching people and we've got more reports. I looked through probably, I don't even know, but at least 200, three, 400 pages of reports every day. I can tell you stuff that's going on in this ministry. Our media buyer says we have more information than any person he puts on television and he buys $50 million worth of TV airtime per year. And he says, nobody has all the information that we've got. So I look at those things. I'm not saying that I ignore it, 
But did you know what? If you aren't careful, you'll get to where you just do what causes people to respond a certain way. And back in 2012, I caught, taught on Christian philosophy. And part of that teaching was taking a stand against the uh, social morals of America and even Christians today. Did you know that I got to teaching on this and I taught against homosexuality. I said, I love the homosexuals, but if you truly love them, you'd warn people of a destructive lifestyle. Homosexuals have 300 times as much suicide among homosexuals. There is like 11,000 times as much spousal abuse. It's just unbelievable, the stats. It takes an average of 21 years off of the average homosexual's life. This is all apart from it being an abomination to God. It's a destructive lifestyle. And so anyway, I got talking about these things and about abortion and about uh, creation versus evolution and things like this. And did you know people who had been partners with us for decades quit? We started getting criticism, didn't get a single criticism from a homosexual, an unbeliever. Believers started criticizing me. You shouldn't talk about these things. We need to operate in love. Well, I was operating in love. Man, if you're headed for a cliff, it's love to tell you don't go. Amen. I was motivated out of love, but we had people start rejecting us and you could take our graphs since I went on television, January the 3rd, 2000. And I mean, it's just nearly just, it just continues to increase. It is amazing how God has, has touched more and more people. But you could take our graphs and look at uh, October, November, 2012, and it was going just like this. And then it just flatlined. And it took us six months before it started going up again. And we had partners that quit. We had people that quit giving. And you know what? If you aren't careful, you'll sit there and say, well, I'm not going to do that again. But guess what? I start next week. I'm starting the same thing on television next week. Amen. And you know what? It doesn't matter if it causes our response to go up or whatever. I believe that God wants believers to take a stand. I am not trashing anybody. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not mean spirited about it, but that you need to stand for the truth. And if it costs me response, if it costs me income, if it costs me whatever, you know what? There's things more important than my graphs and more important than the bottom line and stuff and doing what God wants you to do. You know, I am, I'm not quite to the point of saying for sure this is going to happen, but I am pretty well convinced that unless we receive a major revival in this country, there'll be a day that I'll be put in jail for the things that I teach. I don't doubt it at all. And you know what? I'm going to keep doing it and I'll have a great jail ministry. But it's already that way in the UK. I've been taken off of television. They'll pull my programs because I'll say things and stuff. Praise God for the freedom we still have, but they're trying to do the same thing. But in the UK, you can't say that. In Canada, today's Canada Day, by the way. Happy Canada Day to anybody who's a Canadian. Yesterday. Oh, excuse me, yesterday. Well, happy belated Canada Day. Are you Canadian? <laughs> How many Canadians do we have? Praise God. Great to have you. 
But in Canada, they, if you say anything against homosexuality, you actually have to be pro-homosexuality or they will arrest you for hate speech. They could fine you. They could take your uh, charity status away from you. I can't say the things that I say right here. It's already happened in the UK and in Canada. And you know what? It's headed that direction. And unless something happens, you know what? There's a lot of people that sit there and they reason, but well, it would be better to still have the freedom and still be on television and still be preaching the gospel and just don't teach on that one thing. Preach on all of the other things and then God will use that and maybe it'll bleed over into those other areas. Man, I just disagree with that 1,000%. I tell you, if Christians become silent because they're trying to sneak up on people, with the gospel. That's the reason that our society is going the way that it should. And it may take something like somebody who's on worldwide television going to prison before it causes enough uproar that somebody will do something. But what I'm saying is you can't evaluate what success is on numbers and on popularity and on whether or not everybody's liking you. You got to do what God puts in your heart and I'm saying things in love, but God's put it in my heart to speak the truth. It's the truth that's going to set people free. God didn't call anybody to be a secret agent. Man, if you follow the example of Paul, Paul went in and he boldly proclaimed the gospel and it got him thrown in prison and he didn't back down. And God used that to cause revival. I've just about blown my whole hour here and I had never got into these scriptures, but what I'm saying is good. It's the same point that I've been trying to make that we've got to change the way we evaluate success. And you know, if something happened, we never get this campus fulfilled and I don't know, I'm not believing any of those things, but if something happened, you know what? I still believe I'd be a success for trying to do what God called me to do. I believe that the Lord would look at me and say, well, at least you gave it a run. Amen. God evaluates things much differently. I think that there's going to be people that die because they couldn't receive their healing. And when they get to heaven, the Lord's not going to say, well, you sorry thing. If you'd have believed, you could have been healed. You know, the Lord's going to pat them on the back and say, welcome in, man, you made it. And you, you believed may not have been completely successful, but you stood and believed God. God just looks at things differently. He looks at you differently than most of us look at ourselves. We are so hard and critical on ourselves. God is more pleased with you than what you realize. I wished I had the words to make you believe that. But God loves you because he looks at you in the spirit. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in the spirit, you're awesome. Amen. In the spirit, you're perfect. Your little heart's perfect. It's your head that's all screwed up. <laughs> but your little heart's perfect. And God sees you in the spirit and he loves you. And even when you're making a mess of things, God is saying, man, that's my kid. They're trying. You know, when my kids messed up, I didn't criticize them over why didn't you do it the way I do? You know, I'm 25, 30 years older than them. Why don't you do things as well as I do? I took into account that they were a kid and they tried and I said, man, that's good. You tried, I'd encourage them. 
God's like that with us. He remembers our frame. He knows that we are but dust. That's what the scripture says. Man, God loves us. You know, I was going to turn over to Daniel chapter four. Let's turn over there and I'll just summarize this because I don't have time enough to go through all of these scriptures. But you know, last night I was talking about little people who were big successes. Today, I want to talk about big people who were great failures. <laughs> Give you both sides of this story. In Daniel chapter four, this is a unique chapter in the Bible. It's the only chapter in the Bible written by a pagan king. Nebuchadnezzar wrote Daniel chapter four. That's really unusual, but man, he had an encounter with God and he thought that it was important for him to explain this and Daniel recorded it and we still have record of this today. Look in Daniel chapter four, verse one, Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought in uh, towards me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And then I'm gonna summarize this, but let me give you a little bit of the background. Nebuchadnezzar had conquered the known world. Nebuchadnezzar actually ruled the world. There was extreme, you know, island groups and people that didn't, but everybody who was anybody was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. He ruled over the world. He was an absolute dictator. And he had already had this dream that Daniel interpreted to him. And he had in this dream and, and Daniel said, it's you. And he showed that this huge statue, the statue, the head of it was Nebuchadnezzar. And he described that his dominion reached over all of the earth. And then it showed the Grecian empire after him and then the Roman empire. And it was prophecy about the end times. And Daniel supernaturally interpreted this. Nebuchadnezzar was so upset that he had given a decree uh, to his wise man and all of his soothsayers to come in and give an interpretation and none could do it. And so he gave a, a, a command to kill all of the astrologers, soothsayers and the wise people because what use were they? They couldn't interpret his dream. And uh, he didn't tell them what the dream was. The dream had escaped from him. He didn't remember it, but he just remembered it was important. And they said, how can we interpret your dream if you don't even tell us what it was? So he was gonna kill them all. And when Daniel heard about it, he sent a message and he says, don't tell the king not to despair. He says, I'll interpret his dream to him. So Daniel went and interpreted his dream and gave this great prophecy. So he had already experienced Daniel. And then Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had uh, not bowed down. After he had had this encounter with Daniel and God through Daniel, he, he was so impressed with who he was and what he had done that he made this huge statue and it, and it gave the account of how high it was. I don't know, but it was taller than this building. And he made this statue out of gold and commanded that every person bow down and worship his statue when they heard the music. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't do it. And so they brought him them before the king and he says, if when you hear this music, you bow down and worship this statue, I'll let you live. And if not, I'm gonna throw you into this fiery furnace. And they said, we aren't careful to answer you, O king. 
In other words, we aren't afraid. We aren't worried about what you're going to do. Our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we still aren't going to bow down and worship you. He got so mad, he heated the furnace seven times stronger, threw them in. The people who threw them into the furnace died from the burns. And yet these three guys were loose. They weren't bound anymore. They were walking around and there was a fourth person in the fire with them and he looked like the son of God. That's because he was the son of God. And he called them forth and he, he proclaimed that this is the true God. He had already experienced these things. He had already had these encounters with God. And yet he begins to describe in here that he had a dream. And in this dream, there was this giant tree that was so huge, it grew and covered the entire earth. And all of the birds of the air came and lodged in the shadow of it. But then there was this uh, angel from heaven that came and spoke and said, cut down the tree but leave the root there with a band of iron around it until seven times pass over. And Nebuchadnezzar was so shocked by this dream. He awoke and he called all of his people to interpret it. Nobody could interpret it. And so again, Daniel came in and Daniel, boy, I wish they had time to go through all of these things, but Daniel used a lot of wisdom because it says he was astonished for one hour and apparently it showed on his face. He was beginning to get the interpretation and what was gonna happen and he was disturbed. And Nebuchadnezzar says, don't be disturbed, no, Daniel says, tell me, what is it? And Daniel used great wisdom. He says, this dream is for your enemies and those who are against you. Now he was gonna prophesy things to Nebuchadnezzar that you wouldn't have said to anybody. It was terrible. And yet, instead of approaching it from this negative standpoint, he turned around and he said, this is a prophecy against your enemies. You will ultimately prevail. And he put it in a positive way. I tell you, there is so much wisdom in that. God has shown me things about people before. God has shown me things that you wouldn't even want to say out loud to a person. And yet I was inspired by God to say it. And you know, instead of just blurting it out, th there's wisdom that you can say, man, God loves you so much. You can just wrap it in a package that makes them open up and receive it. If people know that you love them and if they know that what you're saying to them is because you're trying to help them, they'll let you say anything to them as long as they know that your ultimate purpose is helping them. And that's what Daniel did right here. He says, this prophecy is against your enemies. And so he began to give the interpretation. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're this great tree. Your kingdom has literally spread over and covered the entire earth. You know, today we talk about America being a superpower and it is, but President Obama, he, he does things. He does more things than he should be doing, but he's not an absolute dictator. He can't do everything. And there's entire nations of the earth that you know, so what if we decide to do something, they aren't going to go with it. But Nebuchadnezzar, he could literally kill you at a moment's whim. He controlled everything. He could do anything he wanted to. He was, he had power like we can't even imagine today. This was the strongest man on the earth. And he got to reading his own press releases. It says that he was looking at the hanging gardens. Did you know that the hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world? I forgot how many stories, 
high they were, but he had this huge garden with trees and all of these things. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. I just recently read that Babylon had walls completely surrounding it that were 200 feet high. Did you know that the top of this roof is less than 100 feet? It's only about, I forget exactly, but 60 or 70 feet high. 200 feet is over twice as high as this roof, and they were 50 feet wide. They were impenetrable. Babylon was the wonder of the world, and he was walking, looking at all of these things. And uh, anyway, he had, he had this dream, but, and the interpretation was that God is going to cut you down and show you that it's God that gave you these things. It wasn't yourself that did it. And they said, for as much as there's this band of iron around it, then that means that the stump is going to be preserved. And after seven years, after you have turned to an animal and you're going to eat grass like an ox, your hair is going to grow like feathers, your fingernails are going to be like claws. And after you've lived for seven years in this manic state, then God is going to return your kingdom to you. And that's how he put a positive spin on it. He said, this prophecy is against your enemies because these bad things are going to happen, but ultimately God is going to keep the kingdom. You will return to your glory after you learn that God rules in the affairs of men. And then after Daniel gave this prophecy, he says, therefore my counsel to you, O king, is to cut off your iniquity by righteousness and start doing the right things and acknowledge God and there will be a lengthening of your tranquility. And you know, I've actually read a secular account in a commentary and, and Nebuchadnezzar's wife, of course, had been exposed to Daniel in these two previous experiences. She believed this 100%. And when Nebuchadnezzar, these things came to pass, she uh, refused to allow anybody else to take over the kingdom. And she influenced all of the people and they kept the kingdom running. And instead of letting somebody else became the, become the king, they preserved the kingdom for Nebuchadnezzar based on Daniel's prophecy right here. And so anyway, it came to pass that it was about a year later that he was walking and admiring things and look at Babylon that I have made. The reason I'm using this is to talk about what's a success. This man was a success in the way that nobody in here can even dream of. We don't even have anybody alive today that even approaches the carnal, physical, natural success that Nebuchadnezzar had. But you know what his problem was? He thought he had done it by his might. He was swelled up with pride in what he could do. And as he was praising himself and talking about all of the awesome things he had done, there came a voice from heaven that says, it is done. The kingdom is taken from you. And the same hour he went out and became like an animal wearing no clothes for seven years. The most powerful, important man on the face of the earth was reduced to being an animal for seven years. Think about this. Not only is this a miracle what happened to him, but it's a miracle that his kingdom was preserved for him. And it was because of the respect and the honor that they gave Daniel and his prophecies. Just imagine what it would be like if the president of the United States for seven years was in an insane asylum, not wearing clothes. I'm not going to say that. 
I was going to say something, but that wasn't nice. I'd have suffered for it. But anyway, and if all of a sudden he comes back to his right mind, how many of you would vote for him to be the president again? How many would want him reinstituted? There's probably not a person in here that would do that. These people put Nebuchadnezzar back in his position. But for seven years, he was like an animal eating grass, totally out of his mind. And then it says that... um, Anyway, the, the, I need to find this verse. In verse 34, after, well, let me just, um, in verse 33, it says, the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from man and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle feathers. Man, I can't, that's hard to even imagine. For seven years, he must have been a hairy dude, not only on his head, but on his body. But it looked like eagle feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. And in verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes to heaven. I wish I had time to share this with you. I got a great teaching on this out of Mark chapter six. But when Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he blessed it, it says he lifted up his eyes. And that word lift up there is anablepo. It's a compound word. Blepo means to see. And it's translated sight, like when the blind receive their sight. But the word anablepo means to see again or to see twice. So when it describes Jesus lifting up his eyes to heaven, it isn't talking about him just raising his head. It's talking about he saw past the natural and he saw into the spiritual. And there's a this terminology, look up, if you'll look, follow it through scripture, it's just awesome. You know, every morning, well, I look up. It's not talking about just raising your head. It's talking about looking beyond just the physical, natural things, looking to God, seeing things in the spiritual realm, recognizing that God is with you. And anyway, without me teaching on all of that, this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He looked up. That didn't mean he just raised his head, but finally he was able to see beyond the natural and he saw things from a spiritual standpoint. He saw that it was God that ruled over men, that it was God that did these things and he had only been empowered by God to do these things because it was God's will to bring judgment on these nations and stuff. He finally had spiritual perception instead of just carnal, natural ability. That's what that's talking about. He says, at the end of the days, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and my understanding returned unto me and I blessed the most high and I praised and honored him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and all of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him what doest thou at the same time my reason returned unto me And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me and my counselors and lords sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom and excellent majesty was added unto me. He was not only recovered, but he increased and increased in majesty. 
And look at this, verse 37 has to be one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. This is just absolutely awesome. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. What an understatement. Man, this is a guy who spent seven years as an animal eating grass naked. Had had the glory of the world at his feet and now he became an animal and he sums it up by saying, those that walk in pride, God is able to abase. Man, there's a lot in that statement. And anyway, one of the reasons for sharing this is again, people would say, boy, who could succeed? I mean, he was the ruler of the world. He had created this kingdom. He had done things that nobody else had done. Most people would consider that a success. Nebuchadnezzar was a great, one of the worst failures in the history of the world in God's eyes. And we have the benefit of looking at this through scripture and seeing it, but man, that is not success. He was a success when he finally humbled himself and began to give praise unto God and acknowledge that it's God. You know, it's, it's easy for people who have all of these talents and can just do everything. I mean, it seems like everything they touch turns to gold. You're just one of these people that can do anything. It's easy for you to start taking credit and think that you've done this. But it's God who gave you these talents and abilities. It's God who gave you all of these things. It's God who gave you the personality and the intellect. What makes you different than a person that's born handicapped and doesn't function properly? You didn't do anything to make that happen. It's God who's blessed you. All the Lord would have to do is just stir the chemicals in your brain just a little bit and you'd be wiping stamps off of the drool coming off your chin. I tell you, we get so enamored with everything that we are, but God is the one that gave us everything. God is the source of everything. Some of you have heard me say this, but my mother died in 2009 and right before she died, she said, tell me once more all the things that God is doing. That's before we had this property, before we started all of these things, but we had offices all over the world and good things were happening and she was living vicariously through me. My mother always prayed and wanted a preacher. And she asked God for a preacher and she said, you're my preacher back when I was born. I was born, she, was, she had an RH negative blood and that, I wasn't supposed to live. They were standing by with a transfusion. It was a miracle that I survived. I've nearly died so many times. I was talking to a group of preachers one time. There was four of them and one of me and we got to talking about times we nearly died. And I had four times as many stories of where I had been saved from death as the four of them put together. They were just gobsmacked. That's an English term, gobs your mouth. It is, they were just gobsmacked at what had happened. And I tell you, it's just a miracle what God's done in my life. And so my mother was saying, tell me about it. And I was telling her and she was blessed by it, but she looked at me and I mean, she was 96, her little finger, skinny, bony finger, and she stuck it right in my face. And she said, Andy, you know, this is God. And I said, yes, ma'am, I know it's God. And she says, you aren't smart enough to do this. 
And you know what? It's absolutely true. I agree. I said, I agree. One of the things that blessed me so much is these people right down here. Man, all of these guys that God has brought to me. You know what? It really has encouraged me because there is so many decades that Jamie and I, if we didn't do it, it didn't get done. And now God's bringing people to me that are a lot smarter than I am, a lot more talented than I am, a lot more blessed than I am. They know things that I don't know. And it just amazes me that God is doing this. I'm telling you, God is the source of this. You couldn't have paid to get these things to happen. You know, Paul Milligan, he's not here, but he's the guy that's running our ministry now. He's on my board of directors for 15 years. It was like 25 or 30 years ago, he heard me on the radio and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He prayed when he heard me on the radio and that night at three o'clock in the morning, he sat up right in bed speaking in tongues and Patsy jumped out of bed and went up against the wall wondering what had happened to him. And then years later, we connected and he's been on my board for 15 years and the guy is a multimillionaire, has... I don't know, thousands of employees, multiple corporations. And he's just been serving me and giving me of his time. And when we had the change in management, I couldn't have bought this guy. I can't pay Paul Milligan enough to do what he's doing. And he just voluntarily has taken over and he's, he's working 15 and 20 hour days. And I couldn't pay somebody like that. I couldn't go out and hire him. Dean Radke, the man who is helping us reorganize this. He's the one that took Avon from a little tiny mom and pop organization to a billion plus corporation. He took the limited from 170 stores to I forget how many, but the largest retailer in the world. Tens of billions of dollars worth of income. Dean Radke did that. And Dean Radke has become a friend and he comes and he coaches me personally and sits down with me two days not long ago up at our lodge and just tried to teach me how to manage and to do things. And he charges, I don't know, hundred, I don't know what he charges because he hasn't charged me anything. <laughs> and they're just giving it to me. I'm not smart enough to do this. I couldn't go out and make these things happen. I can't do what God's doing. Neither can you, whether you know it or not. Anything that you've done and accomplished, you need to learn at Nebuchadnezzar's expense so you won't have to spend seven years eating grass. You need to learn that God is your source. God is the one that gave you your talents and ability and you need to quit patting yourself on the back. You're gonna hurt your arm, amen, trying to do that. And you need to just recognize that God is your source and give him the glory and give him the credit. And you know what? God said he won't share his glory with another. One of the reasons that God doesn't promote you and that things don't work better is because you take all the credit for it. If God can find somebody who'll give him the credit, I guarantee you, God will bless you. God will use you. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for somebody that he can use and they'll recognize that it's him. This is the reason God chooses Hicks from Texas. Is because you know what? Hicks from Texas, no God, I can't do it. And he's got to find somebody that doesn't have all of these things in the natural going so that he can get the glory. It's not that God's a lowbrow. It's not that he's against people that have great talents. He's just against people taking the credit for what he has enabled you to do. And so... 
you need to take a lesson from this and recognize that, you know, God's not going to do to us what he did to Nebuchadnezzar. We live under a different covenant and God has placed all of his wrath upon Jesus. And even though we might deserve what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, God's not going to do that to you. He told you to humble yourself. Humility is something you do voluntarily. If it's done to you, it's not humility, it's humiliation. For you to humble yourself, God asks you to humble yourself. He will not humiliate you. God will let you go and make an absolute fool of yourself, but he won't do it to you. So we aren't going to have this exact same thing happen, but did you know the exact same truth exists just because God isn't executing this and he's not going to turn you into an animal and make you eat grass for seven years. The same principle holds true that any good thing that you've got, any talents, any good looks, any intellect, any skills, any opportunities. You aren't the one that caused yourself to be born in America at the most prosperous time in the history of our nation. You aren't the one that made any of this stuff happen. God is the source of everything, whether you know it or not. And it's to your benefit to take a lesson from this and just humble yourself and give God the credit and give him the thanks and humble yourself and say, God, I'll go anywhere, do anything. I want to be what you want me to be. And if it's big, great. If it's small, great. I don't have an agenda. You don't try and do something and get God to bless it. You just wait on God to tell you what to do. And then it's already blessed. Boy, there's great lessons to learn. And I, and it's better to learn it at somebody else's experience instead of you having to learn it through hard knocks. If you learn something through hard knocks, it makes a great testimony if you survive. But not everybody survives. It's a lot better to just take the instruction from the word and humble yourself. Amen. So Father, I share these things. I thank you for the Holy Spirit and I ask you that the Holy Spirit would just speak to people who have been lifted up with pride, who like Nebuchadnezzar are admiring how awesome they are. And Father, I pray that in love, you would just show them that it's you that's given them their talents and ability. You're the only good thing in us. That Father, without you, we'd all be a mess. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. And I pray especially for my brothers and sisters who have been taking the glory and the credit for themselves that they would learn what true success is. That it's just knowing you and following you and giving you the credit. I pray that we would humble ourselves so that we would not be humiliated. And Father, I pray this, and I believe that the Word of God is gonna make this difference in people's lives, that they won't have to crash and burn to learn it, but that they can learn it through the Word of God. Thank you, Father. And I just believe that you're working a miracle in our lives. Thank you for this awesome day, for the great things that have already been said and done. And Father, we give you the credit and the glory. We believe that people are leaving this place transformed by the power of the word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we give you thanks for that in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net 
Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.